Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. everybody and welcome to Aquarian Radio at AquarianRadio.com and I'm your host Janet Karen Lesson with Karen Christine Patrick and today we are uh, bringing you an episode of Planetary Solutions. Uh, we're talking about the elephant in the room and the basic income. Uh, the Republican Party has thrown all its political eggs into one gift basket to the elite class just in time for Christmas. The immediate effect of the bill that is up, it's coming up on Tuesday, I guess they're signing it, is to significantly cut taxes for the rich, wipe out deductions for the middle class, and then raise the deficit, which will be the impetus to further reduce benefits to the lower class. What is the philosophical rationale behind why this is being done other than greed? What is uh, the technological unemployment and how does it affect the economic cycle which stalls out to a jobless recovery. What is a basic income and what is exactly the right remedy at this time? So over on AquarianRadio.com, I have a page set up for today's show. And uh, please do journey over there and look at it. And there's a lot of uh, kind of graphic images to describe a little bit. Uh, You know, an image says a thousand words. But um, we're going to turn the mic over to Karen Christine Patrick, who has been researching this topic. And I've actually had a couple downloads from the extraterrestrials, so to speak, about a basic minimum needs economy. But uh, Karen has some new research and insights. So, yep, I got your mic on. Take it away, Karen Christine Patrick. Oh, thank you, Janet. Uh, Yeah, I'm excited to talk about this topic. I've been uh, researching economic stuff. Well, I don't know how long I'd say I would be doing that because I'm, as I said before, a second-generation conspiracy theorist. So in my home growing up, uh, I was hearing about things like the Federal Reserve and the Council on Foreign Relations and the Bilderbergers and all those kind of esoteric money magic topics that um, basically, uh, is, you know, was pretty obscure. I mean, I knew not to mention those at, you know, school. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, as I've gotten older and then we've had an interest in that by a lot of people wondering what is going on with the, the money system as far as, like, creating wealth inequality. And I don't know if everyone's got a beat on it or not, except that it's... Oh, hey, I got a second... I, hold on. Uh, there we go. I got. I got it. 
It's I not got like it. I don't love the sound of my own voice. I just want to hear an echo. <laughs> Great. Uh, no. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been accused of that. Go ahead. But, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's uh, 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 you know, what I kind of said is they've talked about our monetary system, or especially our global monetary system, as being Babylonian money magic. So as you study, like, what money is, uh, it's, you know, and you go back and you look at eso- the esoteric beliefs of the people who create it, by the way. So it's not just, uh-huh. oh, uh, I believe that thing. It's it's the people who practice rich craft, <laughs> I call it. Uh, rich, um, rich, rich craft, wow. yes, rich craft. And so, yeah, so that's, that's their belief system, and then they've managed to uh, uh, convince us of their belief system for uh, people in the United States, um, kind of a, an invasion of that. So, like, if you're talking about America before the United States, um, I'm part Cherokee, so people lived in tribal communities, and there was trade and whatnot, but it was kind of not monetary-based. It was like, uh, um, I'll trade you this uh, sheep, uh, whatever it is, for, you know, some, um, you know, beads and blankets and shells and uh, firewood and whatever. You know, it was kind of like a barter system. Um, right. And that that was, you know, how human, tribal, indigenous communities kind of did that for a really long time. It got a little weird when they traded, you know, a cow for a, a daughter to be married. But, you know, <laughs> uh, that, that's, that's, I, I'm not nostalgic. Let's just put it this way. Uh, but uh, but yes. uh, we, yeah, right. Then we had this money thing uh, move in historically kind of rapidly in the banking system, uh, you know, in terms of the long haul look at history is relatively new, although there was different things in the, the Roman era in particular in Europe. Um but now it's, you know, gone all the way to now, which is an interesting period of time because we're in the digital age. Uh, you know, most of us use a debit card or something like that. We don't actually carry cash very often. So it's very, right. very accelerated technology, although the the basis of the technology, and I'm a technology person, so I say this, is the the basis of the idea of money as a limiting factor, as counting things that are scarce, right? You don't count things that are abundant. You don't count air molecules, not yet, uh, what you breathe, but you do count You do count what you drink because, you know, you pay a water bill every month, and you pay even more if you get bottled water. So we, we are now moving into the super basics of life being monetized. Um, and it is it is actually a technology that's falling behind, I think, where humanity is going, and that's where we have the trauma going on about the monetary system right now. And it's a clash of perspectives. It's a clash of values. Uh, and uh, I don't know. I, I When you talk about downloads, my downloads say we're actually going to transition out of it. It's really hard to believe. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, I, by just telling me that, they made me notice the things that are happening that where the changes are coming. But I wanted to talk about a basic income, uh, and I'll go ahead and let you have a say, Janet, on that, uh, what I said before here. So, Well, yeah, I just wanted to know, uh, one of the things that I've kind of realized lately is you can't see the box from inside the box. So if you go to a higher perspective, looking outside the box, you may see how to get out of the box. And so we're in this box. This It's a box of belief systems. Um, it's multi-generational. It's uh, based on... I guess you could call it the fake news, but 
one person's fake news is the other person's real news and vice versa, so it's all perception and interpretation. But from this perspective, which I pulled to the uh, what if I was an alien from another planet perspective, which people are very well, well aware of that, I probably am, and I go, how do we get out of this mess? The extraterrestrials that I've um, encountered through working with other people that are contactees and experiencers and uh, people that are in the secret space program or they work with the secret space program and breakaway civilizations, their perspective is, what do we do with this stuff called money? Now, I got to experience a moneyless society for a little while there when I worked for the military on uh, Johnson Atoll, and we really didn't need to use money at all. Many people who would work on Johnson Aids Hall for five to ten years would come out of there millionaires because they didn't have to use any of their money. There was no money required for food or anything, and there was nothing to buy. So nothing you could do but hoard it. So uh, that was just one observation. I'm very excited what you're going to bring here today. I know there's a lot of uh, solutions for this problem Oh, so then, yeah, take it away and talk a little bit more, and I'll make notes if I have questions, and then I'll interrupt you. Let me get my notebook. Here we go. Okay. Take it away. Oh, yeah, no problem. Okay, so I, I have to stick again, you and I being experiencers, and I think one of the reasons why the UFO alien question is under wraps so much is because it's comparative anthropology of how they treat their society versus how we treat ours, and one of the funny downloads that I got was uh, in a conversation with, with a being was, oh, I was talking about money, and at the time I was really in a tight situation, kind of going, how am I supposed to do my mission if I can't even buy food, you know? And they, uh, I, I was talking about money, 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 because that was always on my mind, and they just said, oh, money, how quaint. <laughs> that was funny, like, right. oh, my gosh, we're, we're a cute little, uh, you know, Victorian era, whatever, you know, <laughs> from history, you know. Right. Like, oh, it's, well, that's right, you guys use that, oh, yeah, you know. So, I mean, that was that perspective, and so it, it, it really is, uh, you know, uh, from that moment on, I, I've, told, I've said this before, I did a lot of uh, automatic writing in starting in 2009 to 2013, and this is, what they laid out for me this is they had me write on valuation what are your values uh provision which is what do you need you know they they gave me some different terminologies and i didn't completely understand things until we got to this stage of the game let's say a couple years ago when we started to have i mean i suppose we've always had the squeeze but the squeeze on all of us uh, the wealth inequality issues and all that really kicked in. 2008, of course, was was a big uh, marker of when things got squeezier. Uh, my own experience was at the time I had a job I liked at the uh, hours that I needed because I was still advocacy caregiver in my in my family. Uh, I had a wonderful part-time job I was really happy with. And then to October 2008, we had the the financial meltdown uh, that I you know it was very complex and <laughs> I won't go into it but uh, I was uh, stacking books and magazines in stores and then one of the first things that goes is a discretionary spending so people people's uh, reading habits went from physical magazines to online and my job in hours uh, and effort plummeted to. Uh, to a level of part-time where it really wasn't even sustainable to go, you know, for the gas money and everything. So I just had to give up the, the, one of the jobs I really enjoyed 
Um, but it was like, uh, oh, okay, so now what, you know? So I was one of those people kind of caught by that as far as employment issues and had a lot of struggles, and I've been having a lot of struggles for the last couple of years, like so many people are. And, and uh, this has been interesting because now we're asking why is this, you know, because people are like, why is our government saying, like just Trump the other day, oh, there's, there's you know, this uh, tax plan is going to just be great and the stock market's great and, you know, uh, there's there's plenty of jobs everywhere. And it's like it's like a surreal, you know, Alice in Wonderland nightmarish thing that we're dealing with. It's like, what are they talking about? Because the average person has either seen a reduction in their hours, cut back of benefits, um, a reduction in their pay, um, um, you know, or if they do have a job, they're doing the job of two people now because they let one person go and dump that work onto them. I mean, uh, then, you know, one thing breathing down our necks is, a te- is technological and employment, which I'll talk about a little bit later. So there's there's a lot of factors here, but I'm going to boil it down. When I, when I, I do want to say one thing real quick is that, uh, as as I kind of entered this, uh, uh, you know, phase in my research, um, I'll say up front, I'm an advocate for the basic income, which is like uh, saying you're from Planet Venus. You know, it's pretty it's pretty new to a lot of people. Uh, and I went ahead and I gave myself a job. Uh, I live in New Mexico. <laughs> I just relocated to New Mexico. I am base. I am the basic income New Mexico lady. So I am. Okay. Informing my uh, fellow New Mexican uh, people about uh, the, the what's possible with a basic income, and uh, even though there's Basic Income America, and I definitely recommended first stop shop to go is BasicIncome.org. That's the first place you could go if you're interested in this topic. Um, there is municipal and state uh, and and uh, you know countrywide and international levels to this getting the word out about the basic income. But I, I, I definitely believe in, you know, uh, 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 think globally and work locally. So I'm at least working at the state level and, and uh, possibly the municipal level to try to at least give some awareness, you know, uh, to the topic. Can you tell so just, us and our listeners uh, what is a basic income? What is this whole concept? Why would okay, so, want it? Well, it's, it's, it's not a new new concept at all and and uh it's interesting because the beginning of the united states of america uh we were already in uh shifts of how do we live and each time we shifted let's say up in technology so we've been having if you think of technology is like you went from a good marker is that you had to card your own uh, if you had cotton, you had to you, you know, hand pull all the seeds out and make cotton thread and spin it and all that stuff. So roughly at the time, at the beginning of the country, uh, we started having technology, uh, the printing press, uh, all kinds of things that were coming on board to uh, give America started on a technology revolution already uh, of the type where they were just beginning to do things by machines that had been done by hand. And uh, it, it was transformative, and also uh, at the whole history of America is technology upgrade, 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 to the point where we were the technology leaders after World War II, and uh, 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 we've got some good competition now, you know, 
But uh, as a result, right. okay, so, so you know, people tend to live like uh, they like to have, uh, I have, I do this thing, I make my money, I feed my family, I buy my bread, I, you know, pay for my bills, right? They like to have a stability in how they do things to, to make that happen. And uh, so coming in the early stages of America, it was get a farm, you know, do the farm. Do the farm thing, go to the market, trade your milk for eggs, whatever, you know, kind of the barter thing. Um, you know, pay your taxes uh, with with money. That's when times you did actually need some money for your for your land tax or whatever. And then it just kept going. We kept having the technology upgrades in uh, first farming. Farming was one that was so labor intensive. You know, the the one of the reasons why we got into a civil war is because of the plantations uh, having needing all that slave labor to manage all the tasks on a farm, whereas the uh, North was was sort of investigating more, you know, uh, technology solutions. And so after the Civil War, again, it keeps ramping up. We start getting more and more things done to the point now where not everything but a lot of things are managed by some form of technology, whether it's some kind of mechanics picking things or cutting down the corn or whatever, uh, or uh, it's a petrochemical, so it's uh, chemical pesticides, and, and, and that's a whole <laughs> controversy by itself. But, I mean, uh, the, the yeah. automation up to the level of genetically manipulating stuff. And the scariest thing I think I ever heard on that was that we we went from – we're now at 80% GMO, you know, of, of things that we encounter. So it's kind of serious. Uh, we we're unfortunately probably going to have a reckoning of that the way we did the Industrial Revolution that gave us pollution. So it just kept – America kept benefiting from – technology if people couldn't work on the farm anymore then they went and they worked in the factory so there's an assumption for several generations that yes cool technology and what it'll do is you won't have the guy making buggy whips for the horse john carriage he's going to switch over and he's going to work on the assembly line and make a car for a horseless carriage you know it's it's that constant uh when we upgrade in technology, then generally speaking, the um, jobs just switch over to the new thing. But there was a recognition that not all jobs were going to do that. So as far back as Thomas Paine, yeah, that guy, you know, back in the Revolutionary War era, was starting to talk about a basic income because uh, not everybody kind of at the time land was favored to be the the former land grants of the king, large plantation type things, the small farms really didn't kick in high until you get later with a little house on the prairie and, the, the, you know, move west. But basically because people lost the ability to own land uh, or didn't have it to get it in the first place, then already he's saying, well, we're going to need to have some kind of stipend for the people who are not going to be landed. And at the time they couldn't even vote if they didn't have property. So he was thinking right. in that regard. Uh, um, let's see, the, the next couple of people, it's quite a bit later, I don't know anything in between there, but quite a bit later, we had uh, in the 60s, we had the last book that Martin Luther King wrote before he was uh, killed, was he wrote a book about a basic income because the at that time people were really coming off the agricultural thing in earnest and coming to do factory jobs, and, and they needed to be you know, like a cog in the wheel. So you might do a job, and then they lay off those guys because they upgraded technology, and then they need to have you be retrained to do a new job that, um, you know, gapiosis is what I call it, gaps between jobs. Gapiosis between jobs, you needed to be retrained. So he <laughs> thought, 
you know, he and many people thought there needed to be some kind of stipend for when you when things are changing and adapting. And also, too, that would have been a way to also deal with the racial the racial imbalances at the time, um, and the and just the poor, the inequality between the poor and the rich. Uh, but you know they didn't, of course, listen to him. And then uh, a little bit later, somebody I actually knows something about is Milton Friedman. Uh, uh, I'm very different now, but in my earlier years, I was raised very conservative, and I went to a conservative college and actually saw Milton Friedman uh, speaking at my college. He was uh, my college was very steeped in uh, Republicanism and conservatism, and so they brought speakers in on those topics. And at the time, we had uh, the beginning of the Reagan administration and milton friedman was was uh, i i don't know if you say the father of supply side economics or reaganomics or uh, sometimes known as trickle down economics um the idea that a rising tide lifts all boats etc so the idea was right. let's give tax incentives and deregulation to the corporations and in turn they will invest in the economy and uh give jobs to everybody like santa claus you know and that was an interesting theory uh by the numbers long term that's the beginning of wealth inequality right there because uh that was good for a lot of people for a long time that was cool but it wasn't so great uh we started getting an you know advancement of the welfare state and all of that which you know reagan and many people didn't want big government they didn't want the welfare state but heck we had, you know, people left out of the party, you know, that didn't get a piece of the pie, you know, so what are we going to do? Then they wanted to bring, uh, uh, so, it, you know, it, it's complex to study this, but just to make it simple, capitalism, as I was taught, you know, classic capitalism in this school, this college I went to, is that, you know, supply and demand is like the holy writ, you know, it's supply and demand is that this rebalancing of supply and demand is good for everybody, you know. Uh, except that what they did not say to us at the time was how much. Well, there's a whole there's a whole backstory there because they, they, capitalism is not what we have. I don't know if we've ever had it. We've had a manipulation behind the scenes uh, of a shadow group, uh, rich rich craft practitioners, who have gave us this idea of supply and demand, but in actuality and. Uh, right after the 2008 turndown, there was an awful lot of writers writing about the manipulations of all kinds of markets, gold and silver, and um, you know investments and all kinds of stuff to where uh, the 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 rate, the interest rates, the bond yield rates, all of that stuff we we've, we've been discovering thanks to some independent research just off the hook that there's been a manipulation. And the net result, okay, so you take all the thing together, all together now, and it has created massive wealth inequality. And when I was a conservative, mm-hmm. they were always saying, uh, you know, uh, we don't want wealth distribution, you know, uh, like communism or socialism. And it's like, well, that's right. not what we have. We have wealth distribution up. <laughs> it doesn't go down from the, you know, to the, like communism says, for those who have to those who need. Instead, it's been trickling up and now it's like a gusher here and so uh the supply and demand thing is messed up because we have an imbalance and the way right. you know the, like one of the ways we can track the imbalance the wealth inequality so the rich get richer and the poor get poorer and that's not a joke it's like if you look at the economic numbers it really so happens. It's, quite a, it's really happening Right, and yeah. so what? Why everybody's freaking out about the the GOP tax 
plan, or sometimes called hashtag GOP tax cam, uh, is that this is the, the, because the Republicans are driving the bus, uh, and they have been benefited by supply side economics massively. Then they're going to drive this bus right over a fiscal cliff because they just think they they, they either know because they're cynical and not very nice guys, or they just believe this is that uh, if we just keep supplying the supply side, it will trickle down. The wealth will trickle down. Well, enter a whole new issue that I'm aware of because I'm a technology person is technological unemployment, which is either robotics or unemployment. I mean, robotics or automation, excuse me. Um, yeah, automation. Yeah. Okay. So while we've been having a, a limping along economy since 2008, almost a, a decade now, by next year, uh, October of next year would have been a decade, uh, we've been having mass applied technology. So it, it, it's robotics, it's AI, it's uh, automation of all kinds, and also work transfer. And I'll start with that one. Work transfer is when you take the work of an employee of the business and you transfer that work over to the customer. So today, I mean, just because I was in a hurry and, and I, philosophically maybe I should have done better, but here's what I did. I got in the scan-and-go line at the store. So instead of waiting and waiting and waiting for a cat, because they, they, they choke, that they don't have as many people working, you know, checking your groceries out as before. That's and what I, they you know, do. It's the holidays yeah. and everybody's crazy. So I said, they had a lot of scan-and-go lines available. Uh, and so I just went into the scan-and-go and I scanned my own groceries and I bagged my own groceries and I, you know, paid to do that, right? <laughs> paid to the notes to do that. Right. But, I mean, I know, based on my awareness, that, that when I – you know, everyone doing that means that they need they can now use less employees because I'm scanning and going. You know, in some parts right, of Europe right. and I believe Japan, they actually have employee-less stores. They have little convenience stores. You go in, there's nobody there. Uh, you 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 uh, check, you go get the groceries that you have. I'm assuming everything is magnetically tagged so you don't run out. But you come through, you just do that. You scan and go and go, and it comes out of your debit automatically. You don't even wait for that part of it. So we're 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 seeing. You know, if you start to think about. Uh, so I lived in Washington at one point and used to travel to Oregon, and, and you cross the border, something magical happens from Washington to Oregon. Somebody's there to pump your gas because Oregon made it a law that the gas, for safety reasons and job protection, I think, too, uh, you, you can't pump your own gas in Oregon. So there was a job protection situation there. So it's like wow. uh, I, I get out and get ready to, you know, try not to get gas on my shoes. You know, it's kind of a job. And this this uh, a person runs out and, may I help you, ma'am? And it's like it was kind of nice because that's like the olden days, you know, wow. when you didn't have yeah. to pump your own gas, right? Uh, but, I mean, that, right. there you go. Uh, one side of the border, uh, they, you, they'll they help you, and there's a person working now as a result. Uh, on the other side of the border, uh, the work transfer thing is now the the ubiquitous choice. You don't even – I mean, occasionally you find a station uh, that will pump your gas, but, but not very many. Um, so this work transfer is probably one of the biggest uh, things that automation does. Uh, then uh, uh, robotics is – Probably more common in factories than it is, you know, in everyday life. But robotics would be, you know, the Japanese started the whole thing where they found that robots could rivet a car a lot faster 
uh, and for 24-7, you know, unless it breaks down and then, you know, it's back up. I mean, it never needed a coffee break. It didn't need a salary. It didn't need health care, you know. Right, uh, right. And do it faster, right. So that's, we have had a massive but robotics, robotics is yeah. changing so rapidly and it's taking over everywhere. So, and they're, they're humanizing it and they have, have you ever watched Sophia and Hanson Robotics and they're, I, ironically, they're out in, um, what do you call it, uh, Japan. They're, they're out in Japan. They're, they're, they're American, uh-huh. but they moved there, I guess, because they could, you know, do things faster or cheaper or something. But anyway, they're taking over the world. <laughs> and right. the, the AI is, I've been watching Sophia, and in the last three or four months, uh, she has just, she's learning because everything is in the cloud. So they've, they've mass right. produced these robots, and the robots, whatever they learn, it goes into the cloud, and right. they're automatically fed back to all the other robots. And we're talking about robots, not just the ones that are walking around or talking to people, but the, the bots are in your computers. Um, you know, the AI is everywhere, and it's learning exponentially every day. And meanwhile, humans, we learn very slowly. You know, it takes generations for us to get this information that they're getting in a year's right. time. So um, the writing's on the wall. You know, <laughs> they're going to take over. We created them. But the same thing yeah. happened with the Anunnaki. The Anunnaki created us, and then soon we were surpassing them. And, of course, they went in there, and they dumbed us down, and they turned off 256 strands of DNA, so we couldn't quite take over uh, the gods, so to speak. So um, we've got to start viewing in the world differently, not in terms of jobs. So the um, – I forget the band's name. I'll pull that up, who works for Hanson. He's become the spokesperson and he says, you know, we, we've got to start thinking in terms of uh, the goal of life is not about your job, about a job, but it's about doing things where you feel good about yourself, you enjoy doing, um, you could contribute to society, um, but the bottom line is having a good life. <laughs> so in right. more advanced civilizations, they don't have people pumping gas. Of course, that would be so primitive. That's like... We don't have they, gas. <laughs> they don't have gas. You know. Right, right. Yeah, you know. So, I mean, these things that we we think are our life bread. You know, here in, in Maui, they wanted to have this sugarcane production going on that was over a hundred year old um, industry, and so you know, every once in a while they would burn a whole field and they would pollute the field and. They had plastic uh, watering systems, and this toxins would go out. And I have friends that were dropping over dead, you know, catch cancer oh, again wow. in three months. And it's like, uh, what's uh, die? Get rid of it. It's killing people. But no, it, it, we finally got rid of it. But it took yeah. this activism of the entire island for years and years and years and years showing up in council. So we're at the same crux. We've got to start thinking outside of this box of, I'm going to work this uh, job in a factory or a job, a job, a job, a job, uh, to moving towards um, careers or even shifting. Like maybe I'll be, um, you know, a CEO for five years, but then I'll go be an artist on a beach in Jamaica <laughs> for the next five. Just doing what fulfills your soul. And by doing what yeah, is that's, fulfilling, that's, I think where we're, you're going to yeah, I think, we need to head that way. It's not a bad thing to have automation 
Of course, it should be responsible, of course. But it's not a bad thing that's happening if if a, fa- if a lot of people in a factory were getting injured or killed, and now you got a robot doing it, and, it, you know, it gets broken, it could be fixed. It's, it's not a bad thing in and of itself. It's just that we haven't actually uh, upgraded provisioning humans. And I say that because it separates the idea of, having humans be supplied for and money. So when you provision, like how are we being provisioned? How are we taking care of our needs? And I, I'm a very pro, you, you stand you know, around 30 seconds, I'm going to tell you all about the basic income. I'm pro the basic income, but I, I want to stress that I see the basic income as kind of like giving blood to the gunshot wound victim before you so I'm you know take a uh, take out the bullet and so I'm up I mean it's it's a step in a process of us uh figuring out how to provide for human life uh with all these changes rapidly enough to keep up and this is why and and, and the uh tax plan I want to tell everybody please 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 contact your representatives is being voted on a Tuesday, and it is exactly the wrong thing to do for everyone because what's going to happen is they're going to, the basic gist is massive tax cuts for the wealthy, uh, tax loopholes being, not loopholes, but deductions and whatnot being cut for middle class, and then that's going to drive up the deficit, and then uh, this administration and this Congress is going to uh, then use that to cut benefits with absolutely no jobs program, and I mean, you know, or or work program or any other provisioning plan whatsoever. I mean, they didn't even do that in the primitive 30s when we had the big crash. They eventually had to come up with programs so people could live, you know. And we're literally in some parts of the country. And, and, and you know, if you think I'm all wet, just go look at the basicincome.org and look at the discussion of things like, uh, a hookworm disease. They're getting raw sewage and all kinds of horrifying stuff in rural areas of the South, and people are getting a disease that was almost eradicated a hundred years ago. You know what I mean? It's like, um, wow. We have uh, the the capital of the the demand side, and this is what I talk about to people. So you got supply side. You keep giving them money. Guess what they do? We found out what they do. They hoard it in bank accounts. They take it offshore in massive uh, quantities, if anyone wants to look at the Paradise Papers, excuse me, uh, it's it, it gets, it's like frozen. It's like frozen wealth. And one thing that you got to think of money and wealth is that it is a utility for everyone to be provided for. It's not a plaything for rich people. It's not play money for one class. It's how we pr- provision everyone. Is money. It's a utility. Right. It's not supposed to be a private uh, purview because, you know, that's back to being an oligarchy or, or you know, kings and queens and princes. Well, that and, is the oligarchy. And, <laughs> right, and it results yeah. in human trafficking at all levels. Hum, human trafficking is based on one premise, and that is that you have a large group of people that cannot say no to anything. They cannot say right. no to to, uh, to bad working conditions. They can't say no to cuts to their to their job and benefits. They can't say no to the boss that's all handsy because we've been getting a lot of that with the Me Too movement. They can't say no if if they're so poor and they have children and mouths to feed to someone wanting to buy their kid, which happens 
not just in third world countries, they can't say no to slavery um, in in its actual form, like it's you know coming back like a bad penny, you know, real slavery right. and people working for nothing and interfamily slavery where people who don't have a job are having to, uh, you know, there's some hidden slavery in there where people are uh, not provisioned adequately and they have food insecurity within their own home. They're the last in the picking order who gets to eat. I mean, it's nasty, okay, as well as Mm -hmm. uh, social problems with how, uh, you know, uh, addiction issues and all the social ills go up in this environment. I mean, this, um, what's being done to us at pretty much every social ill just is having to do with the fact that we're getting this squeeze on us more and more and more. People are having a horrible time trying to make a rational, mature plan of, uh, you know, investing. Do I buy a home? Do I not buy a home? Uh, do I go to school? Do I not go to school? I have, uh, we have a young person in our home and Lots of people have said don't go to school, and if you go to school, do not get any kind of loan because of the student loan return on investment has not been there. Um, people are graduating with degrees, and, and they have student debt, and they cannot get work commiserate with what it was that they wanted to do, um, and they can't retrain, and it's just, you know, we're in, uh, there's a book called Freakonomics. We're definitely in, in Freakonomics. It's really, really hard to tell what is the right thing to do. And the right thing to do is to tell the oligarch class, no, no. And, right. and to immediately change the game with a, a basic income because what the basic income does is you can give those guys money all day long, they can start a business all day long, but if nobody can buy their stuff, if there's no customers, if all of us can mm-hmm. only right. pay for the, Right, if all we can pay for is, is basics and we have no discretionary income, everybody's job, because of have automated all the basics, everybody's job is in the discretionary income, the part left over after you paid for food, clothing, housing, your utilities, and all that. What's left is your Starbucks money. Well, dang, if you don't have that, if they squeeze you that hard, there's not even going to be that. <laughs> and that's where somebody's job is now because they have a service economy. So the basic income will help everybody. And it, this is, it, it's, it's hard to understand how this works unless you study it. But basically, it is a universal, unconditional, basic income. And there's really good reasons why it needs to be that way. Universal, everybody gets it. A lot of people are against that if if somebody rich gets it. Well, you know, numerically, there's very few of those. And they could be uh, do a goodwill thing and give that away. But my great-grandfather lost everything in the Depression, went from a mansion to living under a bridge. Uh, I think a universal basic income would have helped him out a lot, you know. At that point, people right. are losing their jobs. Uh, Houston and a bunch of cities got wiped out. Puerto Rico has all got wiped out by storms. Even if you were doing really well before that storm, you're not doing so well now. So an unconditional basic income is for, for of course, people who don't have a job or, or looking or trying to retrain or all those things. But it's also for, for a middle-class person who just can't quite, you know, work enough to get what they need. Um, and, uh, you know, people for any every kind of turndown you can imagine. So that's the unconditionality of it. And then the um, uh, the unconditionality, oh, I forgot the other point. Um, there was two things. So go ahead, Janet. I'll think of it in a minute. <laughs> Oh goodness! Uh, let me think. What you were well, 
Yeah, you were talking about how you can go, but you can be at the top of the food chain. And suddenly there's something like the depression of the 30s, 1930s, and, uh, or like the hurricane. But see, some of those people are just so rich, that doesn't even affect them. Because they're ready to rebuild and they get profit from rebuilding all this stuff that's going to Yeah, but who's going to buy their stuff? If they had a store and they were doing really well and their town gets wiped out, you know, who's going to well, buy it in the town? They'll always move <laughs> yeah. to something that is, uh, they'll move to something that people can't live without, which is food, you know, right. that type of thing. Well, so the luxuries go away and it goes down to the basic needs. And but we, if you look outside of this box that we have, you know, this one that's kind of obvious and viewable, uh, you know, there's that, the whole story about the um, they're trying to wipe out humanity to a, a lower population, down to 500 million or whatever. Um, so what is that called? The depopulation bomb. So is there a depopulation agenda? They're basically the the strategies that they're uh, imposing upon the world leave people starving to death or without medical, the uh, basic medical that uh, allows them to live. So how many people are going to die from these new policies? Oh, I'll, I'll gonna tell you one that? thing are I've been tracking. Are they going to sweep it under the carpet? Go ahead. Yeah, I'm going to, yeah, uh, well, ahead. okay, so that's the hard, really difficult thing to look at is the intentionality that this is being done on purpose by this uh this class who you know if most of what they can get is robotics or whatever what do they need us for you know um and that it, that they feel like the depopulation agenda uh uh you know what's that what are these things that that sound good like on the outside uh and then there but you find out there's a sinister intention you know um, so, for instance, uh, one thing I've been tracking, of course, what happens in Europe often then happens here. What hap- is happening in Britain, um, I'm not uh, ashamed to say I'm on disability after being a caregiver. I'm, I got hurt. And uh, so I'm on disability. And they have uh, been in England, uh, uh, basically they have someone who's disabled and has been out of the workforce for a while, and they're just basically arbitrarily declaring them fit to work. And there's no jobs, and, of course, they've had no training, and they're probably not well. So they're losing their housing, their medication, their, just the whole support structure. And it's so bad, there's literal thousands of suicides going on because people come home from their meeting, they're declared fit to work, they have no, no they're immediately cut off from services. They're literally suiciding, you know. I mean, that's, that's you know, we're, well, when you get down to certain level, perhaps. Yeah, you get to certain but, you levels know, of despair, you know, and lack of hope, and young people who can't get started on a life, and they have all these older generations telling the younger generations, why can't you get your act together? It's like you, if you kind of walk in their shoes a little bit, it's really hard to get going. Uh, and and now you have these traps like uh, the, the student loan trap or the, the, the minimum wage trap you you cannot work a minimum wage in any state of the United States full time if you can get full time work because they figured out how to cut benefits from people by not giving them full time work and get a two bedroom apartment you know you've got to look at the reality of this not what you think not what you've heard not your your, your people's um ideas of it but what 
people are actually going through. And most of the time, because of the psyop of all of us, that it's our fault. You know, we've got this idea that Americans are pull yourself up by our bootstrap people. But a real community is always interdependent. And uh, my partner, Brett, says somebody has to say yes to you for you to participate. You know, you can't have a marginalization for whatever reason. You're young, you're old, you're female, uh, you're uh, a person of color, LGBT, whatever. Whatever excuse uh, that they can give to say no to you, uh, with dwindling jobs, dwindling prospects, and the squeeze, they're going to do it. So all the discrimination things have come back in um, that that we thought we were getting rid of. So as this thing continues to deteriorate, you, you have uh, the social mores that and the ideals that we want to live by being challenged by uh, basically the poverty quotient. You know, and one word they use that I love because it describes it well. In the basic income movement, it was uh, coined by uh, a guy, a researcher, really great researcher. His name is Guy Standing, just like the last Guy Standing. That is his real name in Britain. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's his name. It's easy to remember. Um, he uh, wrote a book. Yeah, he coined the term precariat. So it's people who are living uh-huh. precariously, which is probably most of us. To where an illness, uh, a, you know, some kind of an accident, a job uh, turned down, all these things um, would put us right into the edge of existence. I mean, you could drop all the way down to homelessness very quickly. So that precariousness, you can't make it long. You know, when we talk about an economy jumping, the two things they measure is housing, you know, used to measure with housing, and uh, automobiles being sold and goods being sold. Anything that requires time to payments, it's really hard to think in terms of investing in if you're saddled with a monthly payment and you don't know if your job is very secure. So now your decisions are being driven by this insecurity and being in the precariat. Right. Well, I've done that. <laughs> I can't uh I can't do what I want to do. I can't pick up and just move across the planet. I can't do this because I have bills. I have responsibility. I've put all my eggs in this basket and I bought a house in this part of the world and now the house isn't worth anything and I can't I don't have a job. So we're always um it's like the hamster, the wheel in the hamster cage. We never get ahead <laughs> unless we're – and I was married to a wealthy man, and his family was wealthy, and they had a lot of this attitude. Now, I don't know how high up this uh, food chain, how wealthy they were, but they seemed to be, you know, uh, way above everybody else in terms of Well, their, yeah, what, uh, what you're seeing kind of is a weird – if you look at this income inequality chart and graph, it's a really weird-looking chart because the inequality goes like it's just kind of, you know, there's a sort of a stasis between the rich and the poor, I guess you'd say, and the middle class and all that. And then it just sharply turns up. So unless you were in uh, – so like it goes like this. Uh, in the uh, uh, Occupy movement, they said, we are the 99%. So if you're not a one percenter, okay, you might have been wealthy like an upper middle class person or maybe lower wealth class, you know, 20 years ago or whatever. But if you're at this juncture, you're you're uh, unless you're in the one percent category, which is very few of us. You know, I don't know anybody in that category. Um, unless you're in that category, 
where you have the lift up from the way that it, it, you don't have the squeeze, you have the opposite. You're being, your, your boat is being lifted up by the tide. Um, and and I'll, trust me, I lived on a boat. The rising tide does not lift all boats if the boat is chained down. It sinks that boat. So just saying. But, uh, wow. um, you know, yeah, it's true. I've seen it happen. Uh, uh, the thing is, is, is if you're not in a certain, and I don't know what that number is, but a certain income category, um, you, you might have thought yourself wealthy and all, but you're not really because you know weren't wealthy enough to be in the club, so to speak, of the people who are benefiting by the system as it's been uh, developed. Uh, and then, then if you're the 0.1 percent, okay, it's a really, really small percentage of people. It's just absolutely a rocket to the moon. Sky, just, the graph goes way, 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 way up off the page, you know, where the 0.1% are even doing better than the 1% are doing. Um, And this is just not, uh, uh, this is not the recipe for world democracy, uh, for peace, for uh, equality, for uh, social progress at all. This is, uh, well, I, I think I said to you, and I don't know if I said it on the show already, but we've had, uh, in two years, I've watched this little statistic. Of, it was 80 people owned half, individuals, individual people. 80 people owned half the world's wealth two years ago. Then it was 60. Now it's eight. So there's eight people walking around the planet who own half the world's wealth. And probably <laughs> before the end of 2018, because it's some kind of contest between them, like the Highlander, the can only oh. be one, right? right? There's yeah, going to be one yeah. person who owns Half the world's wealth, and it's going to either be like Bill Gates or uh, Jeff Bezos or, <laughs> you know, one of those uh, guys, George uh, Soros. I don't know if he's on the list, but, you know, so, the, so that's the caliber of people we're talking about. And they're basically going to be the emperor of the world, the emperor of the planet, because if they own half we... the world's wealth, they win, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's kind of hilarious when you think about, like, who needs that much? Who wants – it doesn't even sound – logical or human it sounds like something out of a bad b movie but like another species like who needs that much it's like a mental illness who needs that much wealth all i think it's bragging rights at one i mean because those people they don't need money they cannot they don't have enough lifetime to spend it all you know i think uh, at that point uh you're you're that's your top people that think of the rest of us as their property so they're buying and selling people if they if you they want you dead you're dead if they uh, what a kill your country, they'll kill your country. I mean, we're talking uh, the power, you know, the power chip over right. individuals and even countries. Uh, and then I think uh, it's bragging rights at that point because there will be one guy who stands up one day, I'm the king of the world. You know, it's like he's the guy. He's the man. Everyone has to bow to him. He's so it. But this is, yeah, basically creating the new Roman Empire <laughs> with Julius Caesar. You know, it's kind of this repeat of this oligarchy plan that is, you know, just look at history. It's not pretty at all. No, it's not. Oh, boy. Well, are there any solutions? Is there any way out of this? Um, what can we do to elevate consciousness so this doesn't happen? How can we wake up the world? Shake them, yeah. wake them, wake oh, up. Yeah, I like to always, I always oh, like and, to follow and, and up with that. Well, okay, time. so okay, hold on, you hold and on I one both. Um, yes, ma'am. Hold on one second. Hold on one second. Um, my friend is here, Joy, and I'm going to put the speaker on and let her 
Oh, she's been popping in and out. I think she's having trouble holding the signal. But let's see what she wants to say to add to the discussion. She's not going to be able to stay with us long. So welcome. Let's see. Joy? Uh, welcome, yes, Joy, hello. to our show. Hi. And were you able to Hi. listen to any of it? I, I saw you coming and going. Yeah. Maybe you were losing the signal. But Yeah, uh, I was Joy, listening, and I love to talk solutions. I think that... Um, we have solutions in several areas. First, this is such a timely conversation given that we just had an Alabama election where 98% of the black women got out and voted no matter what condition they were in, rich or poor, and they were probably mostly poor. And they made a huge difference in uplifting not just their own lives personally, but also in their state and the United States and therefore the world. And so I think that one of our first areas of solution is we can open our hearts and know that we can do a simple thing like call our congressman, call our senator regarding the tax bill and any other area of our human condition and we can do that with an open heart and with a positive attitude with the intention of having a very, very positive result that makes a difference around the world. So just a simple phone conversation, but if they have the energy to get into their congressman's office, uh, go visit the guy and bring a placard. You know. So there's that. There's even, of course, good old prayer and meditation and... Uh, putting ourselves in a state of unity, higher awareness consciousness, uh, bringing love into our own personal space and then radiating that out and sending it out to the world uh, with prayer confirmation. And at the same time, something that works because our brains were built for it is to visualize an end product, an end scenario that you would like to see rather than focusing completely on the problem, visualizing, you know, a fantastic dream come true and see it as if you are in the future and you're looking around you and it's all ready done. It's already happened. Because our visualizations and our intentions and our open-heartedness make all the difference in the world. And, and I agree, and it's it's hard to put that down into words in, for some people who are so driven by their minds. So we have to give people the logic of how and why it works, and it really does, it, it applies all the way to quantum physics, they, our ability to imagine an image. It's like magic, and we're able to create by our visualizations um, just this, as if we had taken the plans and then we decided to build you know, something from the plans, we can skip those steps in between and create it because we're feeding into the morphogenic field, we're feeding into the grid. Now, we're going to be running out of time here. <laughs> um, I, I want to ask uh, to negotiate with you and Karen, do you want to go another 15 minutes or another half hour? Because otherwise, we're going to be running out of time at the top of the hour. Yeah, I'd love to. Okay, Certainly. we're going to continue then. Okay, so... Uh, this is why I love having panels of women. Could uh, could you tell uh, Karen, Joy, could you tell Karen and our listeners 
a little bit about yourself, you know, not a long thing, but who are you and what you've done? Because you, you basically have done um, something that changed the world and changed people. So what we're trying to um, convey to people is that any of us can be effective. So those, the 98% of the black women, they probably in some level thought, what can we do? But they did it, and they changed the world. They did something good for the whole planet. So tell everybody a little bit about who you are and what did you do? <laughs> and you're still alive and still doing it, but what was the thing you did that basically affected the world? Well, I'm happy to uh, share that with you. I I just had one more thought that we can talk more about, and that is that Go ahead. because of the public conversation about sexual abuse right now, uh, because all of that is coming out into a public conversation, it is a strange backdoor to empowering women to come out and be leaders. I mean, it's not the route that we might have picked. Oh, I think we'll discuss sexual abuse, and then I can be uh, take my leadership role as a female. You know, but that's what has happened. It is one of the diseases in our society that is coming up. And it's like a, you know, it's like detoxing now. And so we have to listen to it with wonderful compassion and really, really good understanding and want to look at what we can do to further the feminine all around the planet, the, the woman that we are born into female bodies, but just the feminine principle, which is filled with, automatically fills the world with love and compassion and kindness and understanding and generosity, because we're mommies. That's what the feminine principle is. So this is an amazing time that is right here, right now. It's, it's this week. It's this month. And mm-hmm. so it's one greatest gifts that we can start utilizing and take advantage of. My background has been to grow up as a very empowered little girl. Uh, I was very, very intuitive and conscious, even as a three- and four-year-old, and uh, started seeing... uh, things beyond the third dimension even when I was 12. In other words, I was very psychic and intuitive. Mm-hmm. And then as I became an adult, I was in the computer industry being a very left-brain computer scientist engineer designing uh, software and was very much in the male corporate America world. But I always brought that feminine principle that I just Told you is one of our strongest, uh, our strongest strengths, our strongest skills, is to be a wonderful, wonderful, giving woman. And so, throughout my corporate experience, I was always bringing the feminine principle in. And then I have also left the corporate world and started a nonprofit organization where I went around the world and interviewed top world leaders who I felt were exemplary and as enlightened as possible. 
this was throughout the 80s, throughout the 90s, and even up until 2013 or 14. And amongst the people are famous people like Bill Gates and Leah Iacocca and Jack Welch, who all ran these huge corporations and were amongst the wealthiest people on the planet. And uh, But also those who are running the largest charitable organizations in the world. And I have written a best-selling book entitled 21st Century Leadership. In all of my interactions, my main goal and vision was to walk into these powerful people's space and really reflect back to them that they were wealthy and they needed to do good with their wealth and they needed to pay it forward and they needed to give back 25, 30, 40% of their wealth to their communities and to uh, build a better nation and better world. So I've done a lot of corporate leadership consulting around uh, spreading the wealth out and building charities, and I've helped raise hundreds of millions of dollars for charities around the country. And uh, and I've also just helped thousands of individuals um, live their vision, live their highest vision, live what they came here to do, uh, and then most especially uh, lift up their spiritual enlightenment and consciousness. Open that up. Live in love and joy each and every day. Live a healthy life and give back. Wow. Okay. Well, that's a good background and and some topics to discuss. Uh, Back to you, Karen. Oh, no, I was just really interested and glad to hear it, and I'm I'm glad that it is um, uh, people at this level um you know or someone is talking to them um i think uh it's interesting the high tech field has actually been the forefront uh support of a basic income guarantee and and uh so there has been statements by uh, quite a few leaders um mark zuckerberg and uh and i don't know about bill gates but i was trying to think of who else um uh, Sir Richard Branson of the Virgin Mobile Company. There's different, different uh, Virgin everything, I guess. Um, yeah. And I, I think one of the reasons why they've spoken to that is because their industry does live in the discretionary spending. You know, in terms of like, uh, um, that, that the cell phone is after food, clothing, housing. You know, there's kind of a, a realization uh, that that the the industry they're in is supported by consumers who have who want to make that investment in whatever they have left in one of their products. So I think that's uh, just sensible on their part. Um, and then also, of course, they ha- they are well understanding the technological changes that are afoot that is going to um, change really how we think of work. And what I tell people is that work is going to be different from my work is I go to the job and I make my income and then uh, that's how I pay for everything to as we go further into this concept of reaping the inventor's dividend and my great grandfather was an inventor so we we reaped a benefit societally for the things that he invented and so 
we're getting an accumulation of these adventures dividends to become a citizen's dividend. And once that happens, your work changes to what what did I come here for? Like you said, like what was my work? Like you go to an artist and you say, I love your work. You know, it's it's a fundamental change in how we live. Uh, uh, potentially going to the Star Trek universe that you and I talk about all the time, Janet, where they, we've, we've transcended physicality because we've gotten uh, more and more into virtuality and, and uh, technology that makes things and all these innovations coming along. Um, you know, why don't we make that transition smoother? And, and I try to explain it. It's kind of a uh, the basic income. When I talk to people who are very forward thinking, I say, look, this is a ladder. Um, a, a ladder of, of understanding. We we have a scarcity mindedness in our current economy to an extreme level. So we're actually manufacturing scarcity. I always tell my toaster story. I've had way too many toasters because they break down, and I can't get parts to fix them because we have a disposable society. Well, that's of course environmentally irresponsible and physically irresponsible at some level. So it's kind of a thing where why don't we go towards abundance and make things to last better or can be repaired or can be recycled and all these things. Um, and that's that's a first level. Let's stop being scarcity-minded. And then let's make that a reward to become abundance-minded. And as we go up the ladder of realizing that money is just our belief in it, which is really strongly being shown by cryptocurrency because it's not based on gold or silver or assets. It's based on math. <laughs> so we have a bunch of numbers that were generated by computers. So now we realize, oh, it's our belief in it that makes it valuable. And then, you know, valuing each other, valuing the planet. And, and it's a ladder of realization that I think uh, uh, many forces for the good have put us on to kind of climb out of a, a scarcity mindset a limitations mindset, a negative mindset. Uh, this is actually the beginning of really great things for humanity, um, is to take these different tools and pull ourselves up to a, a really different level of awareness. And I know our uh, contactee, you know, our, our guide friends, you know, our ET friends and are telling us is that we could be at a different level. And um, we we need to realize that if there is a scarcity mindedness, if there is a I don't know vast uh, conspiracy, that we are participating in it. We can say no. And and I I love that you brought up the election, where people who have been marginalized just said, okay, I I'm going to go do this. I'm going to speak my mind. If we all do that in whatever capacity we can to vote for a positive vision, like you were saying, yes. The, the, the basic income and all of these tools are the tools for it, but it's the mindset that is what comes first. Back to you, <laughs> Joy. Yeah, I think that is feedback. Uh, very, very beautifully said. And, you know, it's up to each and every one of us to, I was thinking about this all last week, as a matter of fact, to be ready to receive all of the possible resources that we can as an individual. Because we might not even see what resources we need. We don't need a surplus. If we do get a surplus, we can give it away. But just to even envision that we have all the resources we need to 
be in service, to be making a difference, to be living our vision, to be living our highest and fulfilling our highest purpose, which is really being a positive, giving, loving, compassionate force on the planet, and to be connected with as high a consciousness and as harmonious and peaceful and balanced a consciousness as possible. And one of the things that was I was reminded of the other evening is we don't want to stay too much in the polarity of rich and poor, uh, dark and, and good and dark and light, but to lift ourselves up many times a day into that unity, higher consciousness and awareness where we're not seeing the polarity, but we're simply maybe viewing things through God's eyes, if I can say it, through the highest possible viewpoint. And through those eyes, we're seeing love, we're seeing growth, we're seeing evolution, we're seeing quantum leaps, we're seeing even silly old cartoon President Trump I, I see him as a cartoon because he's heard. We are even seeing that he has an amazingly important purpose right now to wake us up, get us up off our duff, get us out of apathy and doing stuff. And because who knows how much time we'll have left, you know? So right. I think that, you know, it's it's very, very important to be, Balancing our highest awareness, that unity consciousness, holding that, opening our hearts with love, and then doing whatever we possibly can do each day. Right on. Yeah, so I think that, uh, you know, my, my husband at the party said about the polarity that we need to embrace the dark side and... Uh, Sorry about that. And uh, realize that we created this continuum, this polarity for a divine purpose. And I think we touched about the, on this earlier that these are these things that are uh, perceived as negatives are catalysts. So we have uh, right now the sexual abuse that's going on. And I'm one of the people that can say, me too. I'm not going to go into it here, but I've got my story and I know – uh, as a therapist, a counselor, and I have people on my couch, and they come to me, and uh, it's not only this life, but in past lives, it's, we have uh, been victims and victimizers, and, uh, you know, there are little boys that get abused, too, but the <laughs> the abuse of women has been for thousands of years. I was talking to Sasha, and I said, you know, we're not even, uh, we don't really have equal rights now, uh, as a child, I went through watching the um, the women's movement and uh, what was her name? Um, who led the, the movement in the 60s? Gloria Steinem and all those people that were a little bit older than me and they were leading the way. And we gradually got more and more rights. We, as a child, uh, my girlfriends that were older than me, they would get pregnant. They could get abortions. And here you had children raising children. They were not equipped to do that, their parents were exhausted having raised them. It's like, oh no, I've got to help raise this, you know, infant. And um, 
we need to start doing things differently and consciously. The abuse, uh, there was a lot of sexual abuse in my neighborhood. That uh, There's something going wrong with our culture. Our culture is uh, repressing our sexuality to a huge degree that it comes out sideways and back-ass and um, full of uh, perpetrators. And a lot of them just go, what? <laughs> you know, like, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm just being a man. And that's part of what Trump said. Oh, that's just what men do. We have locker room um, discussions. We, you know, they just uh, dehumanize women and make them objects and um, don't even perceive us as uh, souls that are in bodies and that their next time they could be female. There's just no balance there. And that's, I think, is the core of the the major dysfunction of this whole planet is the imbalance between the masculine and the feminine. And now they realize that we have more than one, two genders. We have XXY and XYY and so on and so forth. It's like a Klein. So, you know, a lot of confusion about, around sexual identity and gender identification. And we need to just see these as the avatars that we chose. And everybody's beautiful, <laughs> whether you're, you know, uh, whole or deformed, missing parts or whatever. It doesn't matter. These are the vehicles that we're in to have this, these things called lifetimes and the human experience. And we all deserve to be honored, respected, uh, adored, loved, you know, have a conscious civilized civilization that meets the basic needs of everybody who uh, was invited in some way to come down to this planet and enjoy and join this uh, civilization, the human civilization. So anyway, we've got a lot to discuss, and this is just the beginning of this discussion, and I know we can keep going, but um, yeah, uh, my poor dad, I don't know what happened to him, but he and his brothers were basically predators, sexual predators. And I had to deal with that, and I I learned to run from it, and I learned to have some conversations that saved my butt <laughs> from having, you know, major rape. But that was, a, that was epidemic in my so-called Christian, leave-it-to-be-er society that I was raised in. Sexual abuse was everywhere, sexual predators everywhere. And it was shocking. And as I look back on it, now that the Me Too movement started, it just brings me into tears, absolute tears, and, and compassion and forgiveness for everybody, everybody in this vicious cycle. So back to somebody. Who wants it? I'd like to say <laughs> Karen? Yeah. Okay, well, okay, so that's that uh, having a very long-standing situation where a good large chunk of the poor, uh, population, if you say women are 50%, so then 50% at least of the population, cannot say no to absolutely anything that's, that's done to them or asked of them or foisted on them. And that is economic disempowerment. And when you know when you lift yourself up, and I, I totally agree. I've been uh, I've had great precarious seasons of my life, and including a stint of being uh, category homeless uh, under because of domestic violence um, with children, with one child in a wheelchair. So man, it's just like on the edge. I have had to work on that upliftment of myself and working through and getting myself kind of. It was stabilized, you know, didn't much have a choice for the sake of my myself and my children, but 
then the other thing is to lift each other up, and that is the social justice aspect. We've got to listen to people when they're talking about how difficult it is uh, to be in a food desert or to be a single parent or et cetera, et cetera. There's uh, many, many life circumstances. I was a caregiver for a long time, so many life circumstances that are just absolutely, you know, mentally crushing unto despair, you know. So when you lift yourself up, lift somebody else too in the social justice aspect and recognize uh, this that what this imbalance is doing and you know look uh look at the difficulty square in the eye and to say okay we can do something about it we can decide that this is not acceptable um you know uh, it's not just we've got to look at what it is and then again yeah look for solutions but like permanent solutions so what i've said to people in the me too and I, by the way me too you know uh is to say that um these are not part of the reason why this is got to be addressed is these are not one bad apple problems. Like there's just one that one guy, or that one guy at work, or one bad apple that caused the problem. It's endemic. It's built in. It's built into the culture of work. Our our work environments um, have uh, have not been great, especially for women. Um, been brutal to people as far as safety issues. My dad was a safety officer at a power plant. Um, we had the union movement try to lift up the state of the worker, but our work environments and our family environments and church and politics and all of that has accepted a level we're not happy with and isn't right and, and is, in fact, abusive and is against any notion of human rights. Um, what we're saying is we've got to lift, we've really got to lift up all those boats. We've got to uh, start envisioning what could society be like, how would it need to be in order for this uh, to be better. But first we have to definitely say it's not acceptable now. And I and I do believe women uh, coming into uh, not being property anymore and being traded for a goat uh, or two goats or sheep and a cow and a chicken. I think uh, we don't. We do have a sense of ourselves as, as uh, individuals. We can thank our foremothers for fighting for the right to vote, for fighting for women's rights. But it's kind of like this giant, like computer question: Are you sure that's what you want? Yes, we are sure. And it, you know, it seems to me like any activist of any stripe. With this administration and this uh, blowback from some unhappy people, uh, is being asked like uh, to jump back in the fray. Don't make an assumption that we've got these rights. We've got to fight for them yet again and push that um, that uh, acceptability level even higher than it was before and get people out of the despair zone because um, despair is the, the big thing that we are fighting when we're struggling so much for basics, when we see all this negativity coming out. But in a weird sort of way, it's better because this stuff was underground and unsaid and unspoken for so long. Um, Before it gets better, it's kind of going to get messy, I think. So it's pick something and do have that vision and work and lift yourself up and lift others up too. And we're, I think we're going to get through this. It's sort of like uh, the teenager stage of, I had three teenagers at the same time. I called it the kamikaze age, you know. It was like, 
my boys in their 20s, they came over to my house and told me all the shenanigans they got into that I didn't know about. And my hair turned white while I was cooking dinner that day. But it's kind of like we're we're going through that, and eventually you get a responsible young adult if all goes well. And our society is going to need to grow past this very, even our top leadership being so infantile and so juvenile. We've got to, I think we'll have a leadership that matches the level that we achieve and that we believe in and that we go for. Joy, your turn. You there? Oh, I guess Joy's. No, Joy, are you there? Hello? Am I there? (laughs) You're there. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. (laughs) Joy. Can you guys? There you are. I can hear you. Go ahead, Joy. Your turn. So uh, besides the hundred things I'd love to say right now, (laughs) I want to say that the good news is that we have more women in leadership positions than we have ever had. We have more women in, yes, power positions and financial power positions than we've ever had. And that could be part of our solution is, to join them and, you know, into a juggernaut movement that is third-dimensional and effective because there's plenty of wonderful women's charities and women's uh, service organizations, and there's 20,000-plus women running for office uh, already, getting ready to run in office in 2018. So there's all these wonderful physical Things as well as our counseling uh, coaching practice where we're helping people one-on-one and in small and large groups. I think that very importantly, because we were raised on very masculine-oriented spiritual systems such as Christianity or Judaism or all of our Western religions are masculine-based and they have... they you know, they disempowered women. So we have to also make sure that we have our own spirituality and our own spiritual system, if you will, our own religion that empowers the feminine and empowers women and go into our activities with as much open consciousness as possible, with as much forgiveness and compassion as we possibly can muster. Because if we simply are trying to fight against and all we do is focus on the crap, then we're just going to get more of that. So if we'll focus on the higher ideals and the higher uh, resonating energies and the higher consciousness, and yes, our very own personal higher spiritual system that impacts that's when your actions really, really make a fantastically wonderful difference. You're not creating more of the polarity. So could you lead us into some kind of, uh, we, we have a few minutes left, some kind of higher elevated, like a meditation or something that will lift us out of this? Because, you know, we have the tendency, and I think we do need to cathart a bit because it's been repressed for so so long but there, it is lovely to end on a high note so um, absolutely 
we have about uh, eight minutes left. Um, Karen, are you okay with uh, Joy leading us in a little small meditation to kind of oh, yeah, pull great. us out of this quagmire? Okay, go ahead. I want ahead, to say uh, uh, to, to definitely go back to the website, AquarianRadio.com, and look at the links that I know Janet's going to have there for further information. But, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. And and we can make this a trio medic- meditation. It doesn't have to be just my words. But given everything that has been shared today and given that there's plenty of things to work on, if we will create a sphere of loving energy all around our bodies right now and be that beautiful sphere of loving energy, add in joy and peace and harmony and just surround yourself physically and non-physically with love that is unconditional and is part of the unity, higher awareness, the all-knowing, the infinite source. And we share this beautiful sphere of light. We expand it out to include our homes, expand it out to our neighborhoods, include the entire neighborhood, include the entire community with this beautiful loving sphere. It's an all-healing sphere of light and love. And now include, we're on the island of Maui, so we would include all of Maui, but it can be the whole urban area, the whole state we're in, the United States, the planet Earth. We can be the astronauts and the angelic force that surrounds all of Earth in a beautiful, loving, gorgeous light. And let us know in our minds that we have highest wisdom for understanding. We have the highest, purest knowing so that we can understand all of the various problems and activities and strange things that occur on our planet. We can know these by instantaneously being very still, breathing deep, and bringing in this love light that is actually our very essence. This love light is who we are. So when we are present in a beautiful sphere of joyous, loving, kind, compassion, we are being our more truthful whole self. And this is our greatest gift to ourselves. This is our greatest gift to our lives, this is our greatest gift to humanity, as well as whatever other civilizations are surrounding us. I believe that our beautiful ET civilizations are wanting us to lift up and lift up and out of the quagmire and the most powerful way to do that is through love and joy 
and kindness and generosity of heart. And when we are in that space of so much love and understanding, there isn't even anything that needs to be forgiven or healed. It just automatically takes place. From this space, from this state of our natural being, we can envision a humanity where everyone is healthy, happy, contributing, comfortable, have plenty of abundance for living their dreams. They are living their dreams and visions. It's harmonious. And we are learning our greatest wisdom. We are constantly evolving. Ah, sister. Ah, sister. Well, we're out of time, so uh, thank you so much for listening. Karen, final words. Joy, final words. Well, I just say uh, people check out uh, the basic income. Uh, I I think there's so much stuff in the news that is to be hopeful for, definitely. Um, You know, pick pick something and contribute your energy to it. And, um, you know, it's better than kind of worrying or being afraid or upset or angry is is throw your shoulder behind something um, and and do something because the action is so important. And I think women are really good at that. So that would be my final thought. Thank you. Thank you, Joy. Final thoughts? Just everything you just said. (laughs) Because when we bring (laughs) When you bring it all back down, it's, it is our, our actions and our intentions behind the actions. Oh, yes. And so I want to thank everybody for joining us today. This is just the beginning. We are going to continue the dialogue. I encourage you to go out and have the discussions. And if you find yourself getting angry or upset, just Go somewhere, express it to yourself, talk to the tree, to the wall, to the sky, to the ground, and then come back with that same energy and rechannel it through your heart chakra and say it again and take that energy to your neighbor, through your heart chakra, to your sisters, to the men in your lives, and remember with love and compassion that this is a design created for us all so we could grow, evolve, Become conscious in, in the, um, uh, the cosmos. <laughs> and I'm, I'm done for now. Thank you so much for listening. Much love and blessings. And aloha. Let me get some exit music. Karen, you were playing some beautiful music, but I'm going to go get something else. Oh, goodness. Where is it? Oh, right. Nothing works. Here it goes. Oh, sorry about that. I spaced out. <laughs> Here we go. Thank you very much. Love and blessings. Aloha. Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. 
Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions.